Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Matthew's Gospel. Again, we're just staying the course here, uh, studying the life and the ministry of the Lord. We are in the final weeks of his life, his ministry, and um, uh, it seems that he is more active towards the end of his life when it comes to teaching and reaching out. We know that every time he goes to Jerusalem, that final week, he does not stay in Jerusalem. Um, He kind of makes his way down through the valley. They call it the Kindron Valley. Up into the temple, he'll minister, overthrow tables, comes back to the area of Bethany, where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lives. Apparently, they were very dear to Jesus, very close to the Lord. And then he would spend the night there. Then he would head back into Jerusalem. The only night he will stay there is when he is taken in the garden and uh, taken to the high priest's courtyard, go through this mock-up dummy trial, which wasn't even a legal trial, but then to be escorted to the Roman Praetorium, where Pontius Pilate would investigate this King of the Jews. Amen, guys? So, we are Matthew chapter 22, if you'll turn there. Picking up our reading at verse 15. We'll probably be in Matthew another week, and then we probably will venture into John's gospel. Remember, we're not in the same gospel every week. Because we're trying to follow Jesus' ministry in a chronological order. And to do that, we have to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we'll have the whole big picture. By the time we're done, by the way, we've probably covered probably uh, between uh, 80 to 85% of the gospel. And um, that's pretty remarkable to do in just these three years. Uh, Verse 15, it says, And when the Pharisee took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the persons of men. Tell us, therefore... What thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, you hypocrites? Show me the tribute money, tax money. And they brought unto him a penny. He said unto them, Who is the image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar. Then said he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, unto God the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say there's no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children... His brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren. The first, when he had married a wife, deceased, he died, and having no issue, leaving no children, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third unto the seventh. The last of all the woman dies also. Now, therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto him, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read That which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. 
God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. But when the Pharisee had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, that would be a scribe, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great, great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? They said unto him, The son of David. He said then, Well, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. And then David then called him Lord. How is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durth any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Gotta love that passage. Let's stand together. Bible in hand, please. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the desire that you have placed in our hearts for your word. Lord, a desire to want to know the reason we have this glorious hope. Father, thank you again. And I know, Lord, we can come here. We could be bogged down, craziness, Lord, of life. Lord, maybe someone today is just carrying um, a heavy load. And it's going to stop them from hearing you. I pray for such a time as this that you would just lighten that load and give them ears to hear. We love you. We pray for your anointing upon this word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said together, amen and amen. Questions. Four questions, actually, in the text that we've read. Questions, you know, can do two things, probably more, but but I just want to bring two of them to your attention. Number one is questions can bring about revelation. It can bring about an unveiling. It also can bring about um, entrapment. Questioning is a great way to teach to kind of open up someone's mind, to cause them to think a little bit, rather than just being told what they should believe, why they, but they, you know, to start to soul search, as it were. And let, let me try to prove that to you. You know, I can tell a lot about a person by just asking them certain questions. I certainly can tell a lot about my grandkids just asking them certain questions. And if you're a parent, you get that. But let me ask you this. Just suppose um, you were uh, involved in a house fire, your house, and husband and dad, protector, you were able to race in there and get your wife and your kids out and everyone's, you know, um, with no injury. And you looked at it and you analyzed the fire and you think, well, I can go in without any harm to myself and retrieve one more item. My question to you would be, what item would you go back in and get? Your answer to me would tell me a lot about you. If you run back in and get a cat, mm, man, that would tell me a lot about you. (laughs) It's a great way to get kids to think, you know. You know, and I think that's something that we're missing in the educational system today is we're no longer an institution, an educational institution, where we're trying to get kids to think for themselves. Rather, we're indoctrinating certain things, and certain, especially in college level, you know. But that's just my opinion. But um, 
Jesus is being asked questions radically, heatedly, and pointedly, just being fired these questions at him. Now remember, for you and I, the most important thing uh, as far as studying scriptures is always keep the context of the passage. If you don't do that, there's a great chance you might misinterpret the whole passage. Remember the passage, the context of the passage. Jesus is last week on this earth, and he begins to make his entry into Jerusalem. See, now the reason why I find that intriguing is because this is the season of Passover for him. We're told in Exodus chapter 13 that they were to come into the city, bring their lambs to be scrutinized. Before they could offer their lamb for that sacrifice, that would take place, by the way, the 10th day of Nisan. You, if you were going to celebrate Passover and you brought your little lamb, you would hand it to the priest. The priest then would scrutinize it all the way up to the 14th day of Nisan. A total of five days, you, you, there was this opportunity for your lamb to be scrutinized to see if there's any blemishes, any flaws. And if there were, by the way, and especially during, especially during Jesus' day, they would usually turn down the one you would bring turn you away to go back to the court of the Gentiles to purchase one of theirs. Because they had a blue light special going on, you too could have your perfect flawless lamb for $19.95. Um, it was a racket, and we've already touched on that whole thing. But, the, but then I fi- this is why I find this very intriguing, and, uh, because Jesus is coming into the temple area fulfilling the very Passover, Remember 1,500 years prior to this, of course, we have the Israelites there in Egypt, and through the 10 plagues, God is going to have or cause the Pharaoh to finally release them. But that last plague, if you remember your, your Bible, um, it was the, um, the plague of the death angel. And uh, the, Moses went and said, listen to the Israelites, if you want the death angel to pass over your house, you have to take the blood of a lamb And you have to put it on the doorpost of your doors and on the lentil of your doors. And when the death angel sees the blood, he will pass over. This is how we have our Passover celebration. You know, so so again, um, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem as the Passover lamb. Now, he's already wept over Jerusalem because they missed that very hour as he was to present himself as that Passover lamb. Again, that was a study we did a couple months ago. Maybe not that long ago, but it seems like it. And, um, and so here Jesus is. Now, here's where the thing gets very interesting to me. As soon as he goes in, questions are being fired at him. Pointed questions. Remember that one question, who gives you the right to do these things? Remember, Jesus walked in, overthrew the tables, overthrew the seats of the money changer. He, re- he le- released all the, the sacrificial animals in the temple area. They said, who gives you? He's beginning to be scrutinized and to be examined. Now, they don't know it, but they're examining the Passover lamb. Just like your lamb would have been examined and scrutinized, they're beginning to do it to Jesus, who gave you the right. And he turns around and he says, man, haven't you ever read? You know? And I'll touch on this in just a second. But my house will be called a house of prayer. But you guys, man, you made it a place of merchandise. Man, all you do is talk about money and you line your pockets with money. You know, it's become a very lucrative business for you. And Jesus was very upset that they had taken God's plan for his temple and they had flipped it upside down. So I find that very, very interesting. And that's what we're looking at. In this text here, we see three questions being pointed at Jesus, but they're all questions to examine him, to entrap him, to get a deeper understanding, to try to literally trip him up. Again, the questions will be asked. One will be, let's see if I can get this. One will be a political question. Another question will be a theological question. And then another question would be um, kind of legalistic. I wanted to say legalistical, but I looked that up. That's not a word. But if you put a dash in there, you might be a legalistic 
Cool. It's a Harryism. It's going in the book. But anyway, it's so it, it's going to be political, theological, and legalistical. <laughs> it rhymes. I'm trying to get into this rhyming thing. And, um, but they're going to ask him those three things. And they're going to use um, Pharisees. They're going to ask um, Herodians, you know, to help them out, which were political, religious, political people. And then they're going to ask this scribe. And uh, Jesus is going to answer every one of their questions that really point that he is the son of God. This is going to be a very interesting thing as we go through here. Again, starting back up in verse 15, it says, when they went, um, then went the Pharisees to counsel. I always call that the holy huddle they have. That they might entangle him. And again, they want to uh, t- turn it into an accusation. The Pharisees. Now, many of you already know this. But this is just the, the real legalistic group of men. They didn't start out that way. When the Pharisees began, when the, the origin of them, um, they, there was really purpose. And they just wanted to embrace the mosaic and, and some of the Levitical laws. And, but then they have started adding their tra- uh, man-made traditions and started to add into uh, their own rules, interpretation of the law. And it really got kind of crazy. Um, again, I think by the time Jesus' day, they had added to the Mosaic Law, uh, I think it's 613 uh, additional laws. And so you could see um, they're just very legalistic Pharisees. And again, I don't mind pointing that out because I want to say to the Christian, be careful of that. Because we would have the tendency to follow same suit, uh, a Pharisaic in our mind that we can do something um, to earn God's favor, to deserve God's favor. But if God saves us, if he uses us, if he ministers to us, it's solely based on his grace and grace alone. Unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor that he has for you. It's just his nature to love you with a dying love in which he did die for us. So be careful of the pharisaic mentality. You know, and but is there things that God lays on our hearts that we need to observe? Yes, but it's He that gives us the empowerment and the grace to do that, what He's called us to do. Amen, guys. And so, anyway, so these Pharisees they took counsel. They're going to try to entangle Him in His talk. So they sent out unto Him their disciples, their um, the disciples that were learning under the Pharisees with the Herodians saying, Master, we know that you... Now, this is just lying. You know, this is, a, this is just how they're trying to set Jesus up. We know you're true. They didn't think that. We know that you teach the way of God in truth. Oh, that couldn't be further from the truth. That's not what they thought. And that you don't care for any man. That part they have right. And I want to pinpoint on that point there is because God is not a respecter of persons not in a negative sense but in a very positive sense that he's not a respecter of person if he loves the Jews he loves the Gentiles if he saved the like of us he'll save the likes of others amen it's his will that none perish all come to repentance he cannot just look on one and show favor and the others you know I'm not going to do that that's not in God's nature so they were right about that you don't regard us not the persons of men. So, here, the first question is, again, tell us. Here he goes. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Hey, is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Now, listen. Again, that's the first question. It's a, a question to entrap him, um, to try to accuse him. Now, how would they accuse him? Well, to, in a couple ways. Number one, if he had said, yeah, it's right to pay the taxes, you know, that, that's what you should do. Well, then he is going to lose favor with the crown. Not only will he lose favor with the crown, the Romans thought that Caesar was a god. And he received that kind of recognition as well. Number one, we're not going to pay any more than we have to to pay our taxes. We don't even want to do that. Number two, we're never going to acknowledge that Caesar's on that coin as a god. We're never going to acknowledge him that way. Now, that's one way they could have entrapped Jesus. 
The, the other way, if he said, no way, don't pay your tribute to him, hold back your coin, what he is doing is he's encouraging civil disobedience. He's encouraging, hey, let's have a, you know, an insurrection, a riot, let's start protesting. And so Jesus doesn't handle that question like the, those two, two ways there. Look what he says. Jesus perceived, he saw right through a man, as Jesus can. Jesus can see right through anyone's question or anyone's um, motives and get right to the heart of the matter. But he saw through their wickedness and said, man, why tempt, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? See, he saw through them. See, he knew that they didn't feel like he was the true and he was the Christ. He, they, they knew that they didn't think he taught the way of God in truth. So he says, why are you acting like a hypocrite? And again, I don't mind marking up my Bible and circling certain words. Because I'll tell you what, not only do we have um, a tendency maybe to fall into a pharisaic mentality, but we can all deal with hypocrisy, can we not? What is a hypocrite, really? And I'm not going to make the study about that, but hypocrite is the Greek word, and it means someone who who is a two-faced. Now, you know, I've heard people use that term. They're just two-faced, man. Well, it could be. You know, you say one thing through one mask, and then you say another thing through another mask. And by the way, during Jesus' time period here, the word hypocrite was really used for those who were involved with theatrical arts. Um, they were um, in theater. So when they played one part, they would pull up a mask, and it might have a smile on their face, and they're playing a role, and then out comes another mask, and it has a kind of a frown, it's playing that role, and it, you know, they just needed the one actor, but play in two different roles. That's a hypocrite. And I want to tell you, God want you, wants you to be real. Just, just be real with him and be real with people. You know, and I don't mind. And I, I won't drill you with questions, but if you're not having a good day, just say, you know, hey, pray for me today. And I'll get that because I have those bad days. I just had a brother walk into my office not only half hour ago. And he goes, will you pray for me, man? I'm not having a good morning. Yeah, right, right on. Love the realness here, man. And I just think that's a great way to live your life. Because once you, you fall into that habit of being a hypocrite, man, you'll do it at work, you'll do it at home, you'll do it with your kids, you'll do it. And eventually they're going to find out who the real you is. <laughs> and, you know, it's not a good day. Amen, guys? So I think God wants us to be real. But he calls him a hypocrite. He goes, show me this tribute. Show me this coin that you would literally pay your taxes with. And again, my old king says a penny. But really, it was about 44 cents, give or take. So, so they showed him this coin. So I love how he says there in verse 20. All right, who's... Whose image is on it? Oh, that Caesar's image on it, that wannabe God. Well, whose superscription or inscription's on it? Of course, it's Caesar's on there. And I love this. And he says, he said, well, then render uh, therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things of God, that are God. Now, now what is the implication is, all right, you pull out a coin and he's looking at it. Who, whose image is on this? Caesar's. Whose inscriptions on that? Caesar's. Then give the Caesar's what is Caesar's, but give the God what is God's. And the implication is this. Whose image are you created in that I'm created in? Whose superscription or inscription is upon your heart? Who seals your heart with his signature? Grieve not the Holy Spirit whereby you are sealed his image, his superscription, his signature is upon our hearts, guys. So go ahead, give to Caesar. Go ahead, give to DC. Go ahead, give to, you know, what the IRS is that belongs to. But just make sure you give to God what belongs to God. Tell me we couldn't have a little prayer meeting this morning, right? Because I often find myself holding back where God just wants time with me. Where God just wants me to take maybe even just a walk with him. Not even just to sense his presence. 
Or maybe he wants me to yield something to him. Maybe he wants me to first John something. But give to God what belongs to God. Forget what they want. That's all going to pan out eventually anyway. Amen, guys? Not going to get political on you. But that's what they were trying to do. Get all political. And so they, when they heard these words in verse 22, they marveled. They left him. And they went there. Strike one, man. They, they missed it. They, they couldn't do anything with, this, with our Lord there. Well, here comes another group in verse 23. The same day came the Sadducees, which say there's no resurrection. And they asked him, and before we get into this whole stupid and nonsense of a story here, the Sadducees were another group, another body that broke away from the Pharisees years before even Jesus' day there. And they were, the best way to explain a Sadducee to you is um, they were just the liberals today. They were Jews by name. They didn't care about any, they didn't care about any laws. They didn't care. They were just liberal in their ideologies and all. They didn't believe in any kind of, anything miraculous. Um, They didn't believe that there was literally angels. They didn't believe that there was a literal uh, resurrection. Um, and some think that the, the Sadducees believed that you were just a spirit and went. Some fa- Sadducees actually taught um, where it's called an, the, uh, the, the annihilation of a soul. In other words, you just cease to exist. So basically, it's like a Christian in America when you say, hey, are you a Christian? Sure I am. I'm an American, aren't I? You know, and uh, they're, they're far from being a Christian. Amen, guys? So uh, that's sort of what you got here. Again, very liberal, you know. But now they come to Jesus because they don't like what Jesus is teaching either. And they're trying to entrap him as well. So they're using this thing called a liverite or a liverite law. Basically what that is back with the Jews, they taught that if you, you were married and uh, as a husband you had died prematurely. And you left no children behind. You just left the widow their law said that that widow would marry the next brother in line. And it was a way for the Jewish family to continue to keep the name, to keep the inheritance. And so it was one of their customs that, that they kept. Um, we remember the same kind of thing happened with Judah back there in the Old Testament. Um, where um, Never mind, that's a different story. But we see that back with Judah. Anyway, so here's the, here it goes. I'm saying, Master, Moses said, verse 24, If a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife, raise up seed unto his brother. The Liverite Lord, whatever that thing is. And says, And when he had married a wife, he deceased, he died, having no issue, no child, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second, likewise the third, all the way up to the seventh. Now, I don't know about you. If I was the seventh, ain't going to happen, man. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. What is this woman doing to her men? You know, you know I was thinking about this. I, thought, I, heard, I remember an old story um, was told to us years ago. Um, there was a, a guy by the name of Dr. Uh, Tal- Talbot. I think he was from Biola University in California. And um, Dr. Talbot was a fiery preacher, man. And he was preaching, I think they called it the Love Chapel in L.A. And he was just preaching a storm up, right? And I, I don't know the message. I could go back and check it out. But I know he was making this one strong point about wives submitting to their husbands. Oh, wives, many, you know, these one of fiery preachers, you know. So after the sermon was all done, he was out in the lobby. And this, this lady came running up to him, and she's huffing and puffing. You know, I mean, she's this fire coming out of her eyes. He goes, Dr. Talbot, if you were my husband, I'd poison your tea. <laughs> Dr. Talbot looks at her and goes, Madam, if you were my wife, I'd drink your tea. Man, 
again. This really never happened. There wasn't no seven brothers, you know. You know, some people will come and they'll ask the most, I don't want to use the word stupid, but my goodness, get real, right? You know, well, if God's so powerful, can he, you know, create a rock he can't lift? How many angels can really stand on a head of a pin? You know, come on, man. You Listen, if you just don't want him, you don't want him. I mean, you, can, you can come up with all these reasons, but you're never going to entrap Jesus. And so they ask these questions, man, about this poor, poor woman. And she dies. She drank the tea. Anyway. <laughs> so they said, he says, look, therefore in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? Verse 28. Of the seven, for they all had her. They all had a union with her. They were all intimate together, trying to have offspring, you know, having children. And I love what Jesus does here again. He points out to one of the biggest problems back then, and I still think it's the biggest problem that exists within Christendom today. Notice he says, you do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Those two things are still a problem. You err because you don't know the scriptures. And you don't know the power. You don't know the power of the gospel. You don't know power of the word of God. You don't know the power of the Holy Spirit. You're clueless. No wonder you're coming up with all these kind of nonsense stories and, that are given. Now remember, the, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in any, any of this. Again, they're just trying to entrap him. Again, Jesus kind of pointed that out in chapter 21 to us when, about my father's house. He goes, it is written in verse 13, my house shall be, pointing out, by the way, Isaiah 56. Again, he says it again in verse 16. He says, have you never read? He's quoting Psalms chapter 8. He says it again to them in verse 42. Did you never read the scriptures pointing out Psalms 118? And here again, he goes, the reason you, you're in error is because you just don't know the word of God. You don't know the word. And that's why I think we do. We put, put such emphasis on the, on the scriptures. And I, and I will do that till I go home. It's the word. It's the word. And it's word. And I said something um, a couple weeks ago. That's why I'm so blessed with our church, the size of it, because we still can get almost 40 minutes in Bible teaching on a Sunday. Some of the bigger churches, you know, I've even talked to my pastor and other, and he, you know, he goes, the one thing I wish I had was more time to teach the word on Sundays because they're having multiple services. Well, what are you going to do? God adds to the church, so it should be saved, so it's in his control, amen, guys? But I love it, this about our church where we can still study the word together. Okay, so he, he says this in verse um, 30. For in the resurrection, they um, neither marry nor are they given in marriage, but they're like the angels of God in heaven. What's he mean by that? Again, he's just trying to point to the fallacy of what they're thinking you know, and, and give them a deeper insight in the resurrection. He goes, well, when we get to heaven, it's not going to be like husband and wife on the earth. Yeah, I remember my wife said years ago, well, will I still know you? And I said, no, sorry, honey. No, I didn't. <laughs> but of course, of course, but there's not going to be that need to procreate, there, and there's not going to be that, that physicalness of that union. It'll be so much more glorious, something that we could, could never explain on this side of eternity, what it's going to be like with Irma and I in heaven, with you guys in heaven. Imagine, you're not going to think of any of my flaws. You're not going to think of things that you might have thought I made a mistake. None of that. Our, our fellowship in heaven will be centered around Jesus in the most perfect sense. And I just love that. Amen. But he says, no, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be like the angels. They don't procreate. They don't, they don't have relations. But as touching the resurrection, he wants to give them a deeper insight. 
He says, touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read? There it is again. Have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God saying, hey, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. So I think with tenderness, even in Jesus's heart, he's saying, look, I know you think that you just cease to exist. Or maybe you think that you're dead here on the earth and all you are is some kind of cosmic cloud floating around. No, Abraham's still alive. But in the, in the eternal. So it's Jacob and Isaac. They're alive. He's the God of the living. My mom is not some kind of cloud just floating around in glory right now. She is seeing Jesus. She is seeing the throne. She's in heaven. She's having fellowship with her loved ones that went on. So, so the Bible says to be absent from the body is not to be a cloud floating around. To be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. Amen, guys? But listen, I love what Philippians chapter uh, 3 says this to kind of give you an idea a little bit more. So Philippians 1, 3, he says, verse 20, pardon me, Philippians, Philippians 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for... Um, for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our vile bodies, and sometimes I feel that way about my body, that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is a, um, even to subdue all things unto himself. Whatever Jesus had after the resurrection, just think about that for a moment. Hey, Tom, I know you're doubting me, man. But for you to believe in me, all you need to do is put your finger through this hole right here. Go ahead, brother. Just go ahead. Thrust your finger through there. You know, do you need this? Here. And he lifts this. Go ahead. Put your hand up underneath my rib cage. He would appear to them. He ate with them. Remember, we're talking about being able to hug each other. The Bible says that in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. Changed into what? It fashioned into his likeness. Man, we're going to have these up there without blood. Spirit-driven, I believe. Being able to use your full mind. Imagine that. Oh. So he says, you do err not knowing. Not knowing. Again, they, look what it says. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished. Strike two, man. You know, they missed again. Now, check this out, verse 34. So the Pharisees, when they heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, no lawyer joke, jokes, I promise. A lawyer. This would be the scribe. This was another religious body, by the way. The scribes, unlike the Pharisees who kept adding, they would take the scriptures and read every jot and tittle. They, would, they were copyists. They would copy scriptures one word at a time. And then someone would examine what they wrote so they were never... You know, there was no mistakes within them. I mean, they knew the law inside and out. Ask this question, tempting him, testing him. Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? There's your third question. Now, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind let's stop there for a second what jesus is quoting uh, to these scribes these lawyers is the shema the shema um, deuteronomy chapter six let me read the whole thing to you and makes it more enriched starting with verse four deuteronomy six for you note takers hear o israel the lord our god is one lord Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. These words which I have commanded thee this day shall be in your heart. 
Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. That's why we have our Sunday school. But you should be doing it at home as well. And shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy, thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of your house and on thy gate. They still practice this, by the way. There's a thing that the, the, or the, Jew, the Orthodox Jew will put on his doorpost called the Mazula. It's a little kind of wooden thing. And inside of that, they have um, the Shema in it, which would read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Thou shalt love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all that. And then when they would go through their doorpost, they would touch that. You know, and then make some gestures, their hands or whatever. They also had this thing called a phylactery. And if you go to Israel, you can still see some of the Orthodox Jews. They still do this where they tie a box on their forehead where it says, bind them upon your mind. So they do it literally. They take the Shema to love the Lord thy God with all their heart, soul, mind. And they tie it with leather straps. And then some of them will take the leather and they'll rind it here and they'll put it on their, on their back of their hands. And what they're doing literally, legalistically, is saying, okay, we're keeping the Shema. But the part where they miss it is where God really wants it is where? In their hearts. See, these, these lawyers taught 613 additional laws. 613. I think it's 248 of them are kind of prohibitions, negative. Thou shalt not, and here's the consequence, if you do. 365 are more like positive, you know, if you, if you do this, you'll be blessed this way. No, I got that backwards. The positive ones were 248, and the, and the negative ones were 365. And the reason I remember that now is because I thought, well, that's really good for the legalists. They got one, one law every day that's very negative that they can look at. But they're so... They're so um, focused on the law, the law, and, it, and where God wants the law, where God wanted the Shema, is in their hearts. Not literally as a little box on their head or the little thing on their doorpost. But notice what he says after this. He says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. Now verse 39, I need you guys to really pay attention to. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as yourself. Now he is not teaching. Now let, please let me have your eyeballs. He is not telling you to love yourself. He assumes we already love ourselves. And there's not a person on this face of the earth say, I hate myself. I hate it. You know, when somebody says they hate my, their, themselves, they say they hate this thing about themselves. They love themselves so much they, they hate something they don't want in there. It's, and and I, listen, somebody who, who is suicidal and, 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 and they just want to get rid of their pain. Well, if you think about it, it's one of the most selfish acts a person can do because it's going to hurt someone else. They're just trying to escape because of their pain, they're real. we're in love with ourselves. There's not a person in this, hear my voice today. There's not a person in this room that did not look in a mirror today. You combed your hair because you didn't want anybody to see that crazy do. You brushed your teeth, right? You ladies might have been on your way to here, but you're still looking in a mirror Man, I'm glad I'm not a label. Oh. Wow, the things you guys go through. You got my heart, man. To... And it doesn't get easier, does it, ladies? Just saying. My wife spends more time in that bathroom now. To try... And it's always this. How do you like this haircut? And you don't, man, don't ever say it looks like the last one. You just don't do that. <laughs> it looks great, man. It looks great. Do I look thin in this dress? Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, 
Now, he assumes we love ourselves, and we do, for the most part. We do, whether it's you just don't want to be in pain or whatever. And, and by the way, you guys know I'm just making fun. There's nothing wrong with me. The next thing I know, Harry's teaching legalism that women can't wear makeup. No. I won't tell you what Chuck said. But, um, no, where it says in verse 39, where it says in one is like, the word like there can really be translated, it's linked link to, not in comparison. It, it's a package deal. If you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you're going to love your neighbor like you love yourself. You can't have one without the other. That, that's called compartment, uh, compartmentalizing or whatever. You know, where we just, com- we, everything's in a compartment with our walk with the Lord. I love God, but I don't want to love my neighbor. You know, you can't do that. It's, it, you know, I call it the, the Swanson TV dinner Christianity. Remember those TV dinners? You pull back that aluminum foil and everything's in a little compartment. You got your turkey that you know wasn't grilled with the gravy on. And you got your mashed potatoes. At least they look like it. And then you got that cherry thing in the middle, you know. And the, the peas and carrots where they got just the nastiest thing, you know. But it's compartmentalizing, you know. You're just, and that's not what the Lord says. No, you can't just say, I love God. I can hate my brother. I can, I'm having a struggle with God, but I kind of like my, my brother. You can't do that. You love God, you're going to love your brother. And when we find bitterness and hatred, it isn't that we have a problem with the brother. We have a problem with God. When I hear people that are getting divorced, I say, your problem isn't your mate. Your problem is your relationship with the Lord. That's the problem. Because if you follow his teaching, the Bible tells us even to love our enemies. To bless people that curse you. To turn your cheek when somebody wants to smack it. And God hates divorce. So I think to me, it's just me. It's, but I think it's this way, guys. When this is right, and I'm not trying to be weird on you, this will be right. Be right with God, you'll be right with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, and they'll know. They'll know you're my disciples by the love you have one for another. Amazing, they'll know you're my disciples by the love you have for me. No, People, the world will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for your fellow brother, your neighbor. Remember, Jesus even taught on that when they said, well, who is our neighbor? And basically, Jesus taught anybody that's close to you, no matter their race, doesn't matter what their ideology, theology, religion is, there's that your brother, and you need to love them. You need to embrace them, teach them. Make sense, gang? But he says to them, on these two commandments, verse 40, hang all the law, all the law. All right, you want your 613 laws? All right. Every one of them is going to hinge on these two commandments. To love God, to make sure this is right, and then to make sure this is right, then every, all the law will fall on those two, Right? First tablet of stone was man's relationship, or the first tablet of the law was man's relationship with God, and the second tablet of the law was man's relationship with fellow man. But yet it was the Ten Commandments. It was one law. John said it this way in First John. I'll read this to you, Verse John, because I want. I really. I, I, I've been praying. You know, the older I get, I. I want to be, I want to finish like the Apostle John. Not that I'd ever be able to put his sandals on. But his message at the end of his life was, was love. When he came off the island of Patmos after receiving the revelation, he's in his 90s, man. And, ever, and the church that existed back then just thought, man, if we could get just John at our church to speak. And they would lug this old man around, carry him around, prop him up somewhere, and everyone would just like focus on this old man who was the revelator, the, the guy who gave us revelation. And all he would say is, brothers, learn to love one another. Learn, and thus you will fulfill the law of the Lord. But this is what John said in First John chapter 4. We love him because he first loved us. We responded to God's love. 
You know, it's not the other way around. If I love God, will he love me back? No, because he already loves you. And his love doesn't grow. Can't expand it. You can learn more about it. But the love he had for you on the cross is still still the love he has for you right now. No. We responded to his love. If a man says, I love God and hates his brother, then he's a liar. It's not telling the truth. There's something out, out of focus. There's something not right. You can't say, I love him, but I don't want to go to church with that person. I'm not going to wait till I get into work. I'm giving my boss. You know, I, I love my brothers and sisters in the church, but man, I can't stand my family members. We're to be filled with God's Holy Spirit to love the unlovable. Amen, guys? But he's a liar, for he that say, he that loveth not his brother whom he's seen, how can he love God whom he hasn't seen? The commandment, this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loves his brother also. On these two commandments hinge all the law. You know, I, I was doing this silly thing, you know, and I'm not trying to do, but do you think about it? If you look at that passage again in Matthew, where he says, you know, that, again, let me read it to you. These two commandments hang. And who hung for us? Jesus hung for us. That's why in the latter part of our chapter there, hey, who do you think Christ is? Where, where's the Messiah coming from? Oh, he's coming from the son of David. He'll be a son of David. He'll come through the line of Jude, of David. Really? Then why would David call him Lord? And you know what, gang? They, they had to walk away again. Because what they didn't realize, the one who hung for them was Christ. And, the, and, and, and when we recognize Christ and his spirit in our lives, I think it's very possible that we can move forward loving God with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our mind. Jesus would even add strength when we know, when we see him, the one who hung for us. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for this time and we thank you for your word. And we just pray, Father, for the word that we have studied. If there's a challenge in our hearts, that we would meet that challenge. If there's a conviction, Lord, please help us to respond to that conviction and repent. Lord, we just want to love you. We so desire to grow in that love. So I pray, God, that uh, we wouldn't be those who would just... Put our Christianity in compartments, but that our Christianity would see you hanging on the cross, empowering us by your Holy Spirit to love the unlovable, to let our light shine. We love you, Lord. Commit this teaching to you in Jesus' name. Amen.